David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. Thank God. Central Standard Time. I've been wanting to say that for eight months. That's right. We're back on the time that we used to have before the nonsense of daylight savings time ever happened to us. And believe me, it is nonsense. It's complete nonsense. It doesn't make any damn sense, at least not anymore. And I'm not even sure it made sense back when they did it, but whatever. We are now back to actual God-given time here, and hopefully I will forget about the fact that it's going to end in four months. And okay, let's see. Where are we at? This is, uh, oh, oh, the date, date stamp. It's the 4th of November, 2019. This is episode 159 of Bitcoin. And apparently a German person called Jorg Molt has been showing a selfie taken with me and telling people that we are friends. This is a lie. I don't know him at all. I've heard from others that he claims to be the founder of Bitcoin and has thousands of BTC, a lie. That's from our buddy uh, Andreas Antonopoulos. Yes, there's this dude named George, George Molt. He's wormed his way out of the woodwork and has hit the Bitcoin scene as scammers always do, somehow or another, in a huge, impactful way that I still have I still have yet to figure out how these people do this. I'm, I mean, like the, the marketing to be able to do that alone is amazing. So got to give him props, but he's a scammer. Okay. Uh, this George Moult says he's the co-founder of Bitcoin. And he's already closed down his Twitter account because basically everybody was just attacking him. And rightly so, because he's a scammer. He's not a co-founder of Bitcoin. This is freaking ridiculous, but he is, he, he, he definitely riled up Andreas because he's, this George guy has been showing a a selfie of himself and Andreas Antonopoulos from, I don't know when, looks like it was probably a long time ago. And Andreas takes pictures with everybody, but this guy's using it as a marketing piece to say that, you know, somehow or another, give him credence and people are, some people are buying it. I don't know why we've been through this before. We're going to go through it again. But here we are with another guy who says he's I'll give him props for this, too. At least he says he's a co-founder. okay, and not the inventor or the guy. Right. So be aware this guy, George Molt, and you spell his name J-O-R-G-M-O-L-T. He's out there and he's you know, he's he's running the traps for his scam. So be careful now. Ken Bozak apparently confronted this dude. I don't know where, but let's let's find out. This is Bitcoinist's Emilio Janus writing sometime this morning. 
Uh, Bitcoin podcaster confronts German fake Toshi. Nice. So let's see what's going on here. The fake Toshi in question is George Molt, a German man who clearly isn't Satoshi, but we'll get to that later. Presenter of the Not Another Bitcoin podcast, Ken Bosak, tweeted a video of himself outing Molt at the World Crypto Conference in Las Vegas last week. Bosak filmed himself in front of Molt at the event and publicly called him out as a scammer. He said that Molt had been telling people that he is Satoshi, but that he is not, of course. This would be all be perfectly reasonable if Bosak could manage a f- to finish a single sentence without using explicatives. However, this was not the case. When asked by another gentleman to leave and take his behavior outside, Bosak initially started to protest. Then Molt flipped off Bosak's baseball cap and we saw Bosak's true colors. Whilst... <laughs> Whilst the gentleman continued to usher Bosak out of the event, he continued to protest. He even attacked a passerby who steps in to help, shouting, You need to get the F out of my face. This guy doesn't know me. Shut the F up. Of course, the people didn't know, or sorry, of course, the people didn't need to know Bosak to realize that his behavior was inappropriate and he was rightfully being ejected. So, who is George Moult? Back to Molt, a.k.a. George Ortle or DJ Sunlove. What? Oh, man, the aliases in this space are weird. At a Sims conference in Pune, Molt delivered a speech under the pretense that he was Bitcoin's co-founder. The fact that nobody seemed to question this at the time and that he has since flown almost completely under the radar until now speaks volumes about the utter lack of credibility behind his statements. Here's a man with allegedly no coding skills, no economic background, and a reputation for scamming older women out of money. His own ex-wife felt the need to make a YouTube video a year ago in which she details his scams. (laughs) She claims that he owes money to at least six people and isn't paying alimony for his two children. This isn't a very nice guy, so it's a shame that he wins a moral victory in the confrontation with Bozak. Perhaps most amusingly, Moltz's ex-wife says that he didn't even own a computer at the time the Bitcoin white paper was released. Despite this, he claims to have co-founded Bitcoin, that Craig Wright isn't Satoshi Nakamoto, well, duh, (laughs) and that he has a quarter million Bitcoin. Andreas Antonopoulos yesterday also felt the need to tweet, distancing himself from Molt after learning that Molt had been showing people a selfie of the pair and saying that they were friends. This was a lie, says Antonopoulos, as was Molt's claim to have 250,000 BTC. Since the video of the confrontation was released, Bosak has decided to pick a fight with Roger Ver. After a Bitcoin.com news story on Molt described Bosak as previously accosting two of its own unsuspecting booth workers at an event in 2018, he challenged, quote, whoever wrote this, F you, fight me. Oh, God. <laughs> it's the utter lack of maturity. Oh, God. If he had the guile to put together a decent argument to back up his passion, then it might have been a different story. Obviously, Ver did have the wherewithal to politely put Bosak in his place, not that Bosak seems to have realized that. Meanwhile, although there are many scammers in our space and tempers do get heated, especially if someone knocks our favorite hat off, please, for the sake of the industry, stay classy out there. (laughs) Oh, God. Just, oh, this is so way too funny. It's just way too funny for words. But, you know, I remember when Ken first, you know, happened upon the scene and all of a sudden it was just a ride straight down into shit coinery. And it was, it's just gotten, apparently gotten worse since. And like the author was saying in that story, it is kind of too bad that Ken wasn't able to, you know, 
get himself composed and just, you know, confront the scammer without, you know, just rifling into a whole bunch of explicatives. I mean, you know, the space is, is really raw. And so the audience in general kind of expects that. But when you take it too far, like, like Ken did, um, yeah, it doesn't look good. And, and he kind of made George like, you know, look not so bad, even though he's a terrible scammer. Okay. So just again, let's try to keep our cool. Look out for scammers, call them out when you see them, but don't do it this way. Okay. Just, you know, don't. All right. Okay. Okay. Hold on. All right. Got a medium post here from Hodel Hodel, uh, titled Hodel Hodel's official statement for Venezuelan traders. We've decided to actively enter the Venezuelan market and have timed it for November the 1st, the date when local Bitcoins begins freezing users' Bitcoins being held in their wallet if the user's account exceeds the transaction tier and trade volume limits without having passed next-level verification. So, we would like to invite everyone in the Venezuelan community to come trade with us at hodelhodel.com. Also, this post is translated into Spanish below. One. Spanish translation and support. We fully support the Spanish-speaking community. The exchange is fully translated into Spanish. We have Spanish-speaking support on our team. There is a dedicated Telegram group for Spanish-speaking customers, and then they give the the uh, uh, t- uh, the address to the Telegram group. If you are interested in that, go to Hodel Hodel Spanish. Uh, like look, just Telegram, and then Hodel Hodel Spanish. And Hodel Hodel Spanish all in one word. That's the name of the channel for the Telegram group. Get in there and, you know, do your thing. Two, receive an exchange fee discount. We have prepared a special referral code, Venezuela, that if used during registration, permanently discounts your exchange fee to 0.55%. Three, correct BTC VES exchange rate. We know the issues Venezuelans have faced with exchange rates, and at Hodel Hodel, we've worked hard to display the correct and actual exchange rate for the BTC VES pair. For those unfamiliar with Hodel Hodel, Hodel Hodel is a global P2P Bitcoin exchange where you can buy and sell Bitcoins in any country in the world using any payment method and any fiat or cryptocurrency. The differences between us and other P2P exchanges are security. We don't hold users' funds. We simply generate the multi-sig address on the blockchain where Bitcoins are stored during the trade. We don't have KYC AML, simply none at all. (laughs) Nice. Right away, you're free to trade without passing a verification process. Our maximum exchange fee is 0.6%. To show the simplicity of trading at Hodel Hodel, we would like to explain the trading process. One, contract is created. Hodel Hodel generates unique multi-sig escrow for it. Two, seller deposits Bitcoin into the escrow directly from his or her wallet. Three, buyer pays the seller according to the agreed upon payment method. Four, seller releases Bitcoin from multi-sig escrow directly to the buyer's wallet. That's all for the trading process. It's mostly the same as on other peer-to-peer exchanges. In case a dispute is started in the contract, Hodel Hodel takes care of it and helps the customers resolve it. For more information about our exchange, its features and comparisons with other P2P exchanges, check out our latest series of articles, Move to Hodel Hodel. And that's a a link, presumably, to another Medium 
posed. Uh, if you are a huge market maker and can provide significant liquidity, we kindly ask you to reach us by any convenient means as specified below so we can discuss partnership opportunities. All right, that's the basically the end of it. The They've translated that entire, what I just read to you, is is uh, appears again, but in Spanish. So the HODL HODL guys, uh, they get it. The Spanish-speaking communities, the South, like Central America, all of Latin America, you know, Central America, South America, uh, the this is, I think, aside from Africa, I think Central and South America are going to be probably the most important. Those countries that are represented there are going to be the most important countries for the further adoption of Bitcoin. I'd said it on Friday. It's not the West. Why? We don't really need it right now. The smart money is holding some Bitcoin, right? But your Visa card works just as well. And trying to tell somebody who can just go swipe their Visa card at frickin' Walmart and buy a biscuit or whatever the hell it is that they're going to get, it's going to be really hard to convince them that they need this. It's not going to be until something really bad happens economically in the West that people go, oh, God, I should have had Bitcoin. No, 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 no. It's going to be people in Africa. It's going to be people in Latin America. It's going to be that kind of crap, okay? Those are the people that really need this today because they don't have the kinds of things that we have. So keep that in mind when somebody tells you that Bitcoin is going to die for the 380th time. Helen Parts is writing for Toycoin Telegraph. Bitfinex adds Bitcoin Beck 32 support. Hence at Lightning Network next. Uh, this was sometime this morning. Major global crypto exchange Bitfinex now supports Bitcoin BEC32 address generation and deposits to BEC32 addresses. Following the launch of Bitcoin withdrawals on BEC32 addresses on October the 29th, Bitfinex officially announced on November the 4th that the exchange now also supports deposits to BEC32. As previously announced, the BEC32 Bitcoin addresses is a segregated witness address format specified by Bitcoin Improvement Proposal BIP173 also known as BC1 addresses. BEC32 format starts with the alphanumeric characters BC1 and consists only of lowercase letters, making each address not case sensitive. This update updated address format provides better protection against typing errors and thus fixes transaction malleability. Moreover, SegWit increases the maximum block size limit, effectively increasing transaction capacity and lowering fees. Bitfinex notes that the introduction of the BEC32 addresses shows its commitment to speeding up adoption of SegWit as well as developing and scaling Bitcoin. As BEC32 format is not supported by all exchanges, Bitfinex traders will have the option to use either the original pay-to-script hash, SegWit deposit addresses, or native SegWit BEC32 address, the firm stated. Additionally, Bitfinex also hinted at adding support for the Lightning Network soon. Commenting on the news, Bitfinex's CTO, Paolo, wait, Paolo, <laughs> sorry guys, Paolo Ardorno, I'm butchering it, moving on, seemingly referenced LN as a little nice thing in a tweet on November the 4th. And there's the quote for the tweet that says, now there is only one little nice thing left for us to develop. And little nice is capitalized. So that's where they're getting the LN at. Nice. I like it when people actually, you know, kind of, I don't know, get tricksy, tricksy about their kind, you know, when they're, when they're making statements like that, it's, it's kind of fun to, uh, to go get the Easter eggs. 
The news follows the recent uptick in SegWit spending Bitcoin transactions on the network to over half of the total. Nice. Implemented as a major Bitcoin protocol upgrade in August of 2017 to optimize block space usage. According to the transact according to transaction fee.info statistics, the percentage of SegWit transaction has hit an all-time high of 57.7% on October the 8th and currently stands at 52.2%. So yeah, that completely went under my radar. Yeah, it's like been a long time since we talked about SegWit since the, you know, all the scaling wars and battles and the bloodshed that was, you know, that was lit out. It was just, God, it was 2017 was so bad. It was so awful. Watching good friends no longer be friends anymore because they were on the, you know, in, in their view on the wrong side of the fork. And it was really, it was really, really hard to watch some of that stuff. And I just hope that we don't have to watch it again, but we probably will. I don't know. Bittrex target of latest $1 million crypto SIM hack lawsuit. This is Coindesk's Danny Nelson writing this morning, crypto exchange Bittrex is being sued over a SIM swap that netted criminals 100 Bitcoin currently worth nearly $1 million. The case resembles other recent high-profile heists in which a hacker seizes controls of a victim's cell phone to then loot online crypto accounts. The swap was from cellular carrier AT&T. Money was taken from Bittrex, and the hack took control over the victim's online identity. The hack against Seattle-based angel investor Greg Bennett, however, has not been resolved by criminal investigators, as others have before being made public in legal filings. In this case, Bennett filed suit in Washington State's King County Superior Court, alleging that Bittrex violated its own public security protocols and ignored industry standards, missing the chance to stop the high-stakes burglary. He also alleged that Bittrex failed to act as the April 15th 2019 hack was in process or respond quickly enough once notified by him directly. The financial legal examiner for the Washington state regulator handling consumer complaints, the Department of Financial Institutions, concluded that Bittrex did not take reasonable steps to respond to Bennett's notice and appears to have violated its own terms of service in a signed letter dated August the 30th, 2019, provided to Coindesk by Bennett. Though various legal entities were notified of the hack, they have not yet announced any criminal charges in the case. And as such, the whereabouts of Bennett's Bitcoin are unknown. Hey, my last name is Bennett. Maybe it's my Bitcoin. Bittrex declined to comment specifically about the Bennett hack. (laughs) The Bennett hack. And and the court case. But CEO Bill Sharia, uh, Shihara, Speaking to Coindesk about other recent SIM hacks, said the exchange has robust security in place to prevent account breaches, including two-factor auth and email verification when an unknown IP address logs into the account. These speed bumps might result in some user complaints, he said, but they actually save a lot of accounts from being hacked. But given a target's email may also be breached, it's best to never trust one's phone as the last security stop. Once it's taken over, everything could be accessible. He said, quote, I think this is a problem that requires a lot of solutions and a lot of layers of security. And unfortunately, one of the mantras that we use and often published articles about is that ultimately you can't trust your phone. You have to be aware that you could lose control of your phone. Bennett told Coindesk that he suspects his hack was an inside job. As he said, his account pin and even social security number on the account were changed. 
which would imply that someone at the phone company played a role. However, AT&T is not named in the Bennett suit. While it's the focus of similar cases filed by Seth Shapiro and Michael Turpin. While Bennett's present case only focuses on the security lapses at Bitfinex, or sorry, not Bitfinex, Bitrex, he said the door remained open. AT&T will not escape my wrath, he said. AT&T spokesman Jim Greer said he could only reiterate his prior responses to the SIM hacks. Customers should avoid relying on their cell phones for security. Fraudulent SIM swaps are a form of theft committed by sophisticated criminals. We are working closely with our industry, law enforcement, and consumers to stop and prevent this type of crime, Greer said. Bennett says that Bittrex should have known something odd was afoot. The hacks were coming from a Florida IP and from an NT operating system, he said, neither of which he has ever used before. Both signs in his mind that it should be clear that he was not the one accessing the account. Bennett alleges in the lawsuit that the hackers ultimately drained 100 bitcoins from his account, the maximum daily withdrawal allowed. In fact, he had a series of coins that the hackers dumped at below market prices, converting into a further 30 bitcoin and made off with. They even returned the following day for his 35 remaining Bitcoin, but by that time, Bennett said he had succeeded in getting Bittrex to shut down the account and the unauthorized withdrawals. Bennett's suit alleges Bittrex failed to follow industry standards in his case beyond the different IP addresses and operating systems. His lawyers asserted that Bittrex should also have imposed a 24-hour withdrawal hold after password changes, which he said other exchanges do. Quote, what I fault Bittrex for is their inability to see obvious suspicious activity, end quote, Bennett said. So, guys, yeah, man, you got to be careful out there. Uh, your phone is not all that secure. AT&T is, uh, they're, you know, and here's the other thing. Yeah, how, how close can these companies actually watch stuff? I mean, there's the only way to do the things that Bennett is, you know, needing Bittrex and AT&T to do is to have, you know, algorithms basically parsing through every single thing that happens on the AT&T or Bittrex networks. And that I guarantee you is, would cause more problems. It, we're already trying to fight that crap from, from AT&T algorithms looking for, you know, X, Y, and Z. We don't need any more on there which is why take control of your own security. Don't allow your phone to have access to Bitcoin unless you got like 20 or 30 bucks on a, you know, custodial wallet or a lightning network or something like that. It's 20 or 30 bucks, people. It's not destroying the ethos of Bitcoin to have 30 bucks in custody. It's not. Stop it. Just stop. Marie Juliet says NASDAQ powered security token exchange shutters to pursue merger. This was sometime this morning. She is writing for Cointelegraph. Just nine months after its launch, the NASDAQ-powered digital trading platform DX.Exchange is temporarily shutting down as it pursues a merger or outright sale. The Estonia-based platform made the announcement on November the 3rd, informing users that the cost of providing the required level of security, support, and technology is not economically feasible on our own. Oh, God, how was that not in your business plan? I mean, my God, people, it's like, did you just not run the numbers? Did, did you just say, hey, let's open up an exchange. We're all going to get rich. Because if that's the way you did it, 
man, I'm glad I, you know, I never even heard about these people before this. So I'm, uh, this makes me happy about that. As reported, DX.Exchange, which uses NASDAQ's matching engine market and market surveillance technology, was launched in January 2019 with support for various fiat and cryptocurrency trading pairs as well as tokenized stocks. In its statement yesterday, the exchange told users that with immediate effect, all deposits and trading were being suspended, with all open orders to be canceled by 12 o'clock GMT that same day. While pledging to release further information in due course, DX Exchange revealed that, quote, The board of directors believes that this is the best opportunity for DX Exchange to achieve a success for its shareholders and compete in this challenging market. In the event a merger or sell is not completed in a timely manner, then the exchange may not resume operations and take appropriate action, whatever the hell that means. In a bid to reassure clients faced with the abrupt move, the platform claimed that all user funds were safe uh, and would need to be returned to allow for a merger or acquisition to go ahead. For users to claim their withdrawals, the exchange outlined a know-your-customer procedure involving submission of government ID, a selfie, wallet address, and email details for them to follow, quote, as soon as possible. Users' withdrawal requests must be submitted by November the 15th, failing which the exchange has warned their withdrawal process could be disrupted. The platform has thanked the public for its support and understanding in these difficult times and says it will notify users of the merger acquisition process. Oh, God. Dude, so in this is kind of like a, another type of exit scam. You get in to these exchanges and they don't, you know, you get in because you don't want to do KYC AML, but to get out, what do you got to do? KYC AML. This is this is becoming a theme. This is is what I see. So just because you can get into an exchange without KYC AML, do not assume that you're going to be able to get out of the same exchange. This is going to happen more and more and more as governments become insanely jealous and more and more paranoid because that's what's going on. How many more birthdays until Bitcoin wins? John Biggs, writing November the 1st for Coindesk, says... Bitcoin just turned 11, and it's worth looking at what this technology has achieved. First, some context. Facebook is 14, while Twitter is 13. Linux is 28. The World Wide Web is about, 44, or is about 30 years old. TCP IP is about 44 years old, depending on whom you ask. If you're into Bitcoin, you're most likely 18 to 34 years old, according to pollsters at the Global Blockchain Business Council. And you probably joined the Bitcoin party about five years ago and owned some fraction or even a full Bitcoin. Some of you may own many, many more. I'm, I, I'm about as old as TCP IP. I'm part of the generation that saw computing's evolutionary boom. If you're younger, you've gotten used to modern networking technology and you don't remember a time when everything was, wasn't done on a screen. You were there for the birth of Bitcoin. But on the 11th anniversary of the White Paper's publication, we face a question. How long must we wait until Bitcoin becomes like Twitter or Linux? Something you use every day. 10 years? 20? Bitcoin, from the vantage point of pure adoption, has been a failure. But it remains a beacon, the best chance we have for truly shaking up the status quo and ultimately changing the way we interact with our fellow global citizens. When will will we be using Bitcoin daily? When will the underlying technology embed itself into the fabric of our financial lives? We don't know. A billion people 
use Facebook every month. On Twitter, it's 330 million. Both services ramped up quickly, but really took off in the last few years. Linux is on 98% of servers worldwide. That took a while, but ramped up after the dot-com bubble. The Or boom. The web is everywhere, but that took a solid 20 years to happen. How many people use Bitcoin? It's hard to gauge on a decentralized network designed for anonymity. No, it was not designed for anonymity. Guys, that was... Ah, the, the, the narrative still holds. Anonymity can happen. It can. Lightning Network is actually making anonymity more and more present. But I'm not exactly sure if we should have bought into that whole anonymous payments because clearly they've never been anonymous on the base chain. That wasn't the point. The point was security. Okay, so rant over. For a rough proxy, CoVenture Research says there are 11.2 million Bitcoin addresses that hold at least 0.001 BTC or about $9. That's a big number, more than the number of people in New York, including the outer boroughs. Of course, a single user can and often does control multiple addresses. Yet, if anything, this estimate may be too conservative. An April 2019 survey by Harris Poll done for Blockchain Capital found 9% of Americans or 27 million people own Bitcoin. All told, it's safe to say that if the crypto community were a country, it would be bigger than Belgium. But it's not 330 million and it's not a billion. It's enough that the average investor and programmer will take notice and it's enough for Hollywood to consider the topic interesting enough for an awful movie. But 11 million in 11 years is not good for Bitcoin. If Bitcoin were a startup, it would exist in the valley of death. In the startup world, an app with 11 million users is strong enough to generate some lamp, some revenue, but not interesting enough to attract massive investment. Bitcoin is like that. It works, but not enough to turn heads outside of a vocal minority. So where is Bitcoin going? Is 11 million enough? How many more years until we get mass adoption? Another shrug, another unknown. We see the forward motion every day on Coindesk, the various small changes that add up to a story of a platform, or is it a movement? This points to the primary problem that Bitcoin and the wider crypto ecosystem has to accept. Facebook and Twitter achieved those numbers through investments far smaller than Bitcoin's $165 billion market cap. Linux and Foss endeared themselves to developers enough that they happily contributed their time freely. The web grows by itself because it is trivial to join the party. Bitcoin exhibits few of those traits. Bitcoin startup investment is cold. The crypto ecosystem is insular and self-involved, difficult for outsiders to join. The network grows by fits and starts, driven primarily by number go up. God, this is terrible. We are in a vibrant early stage in which everyone is a pioneer and there is no clear way forward. Infighting turns developer against developer while crypto clowns hog the mainstream's media's, uh, mainstream media's attention. Only a small dedicated group holds the center together. This is bad for Bitcoin. No, this is actually just a not a very well-researched uh, article. This is just, uh, you know... In, I mean, I like John, I do, but this particular article just, it rankles me because he's getting a lot of stuff wrong. <laughs> there's there's so much wrong in here that I'm not going to go through it, but he should know better if, if he literally is about as old as TCPIP, the same things happened. I mean, when Twitter was born 13 years ago, we were in a completely different space than the whole dot-com thing leading up to the 2000, uh, 2000 and 2001 uh, bubble burst of dot-com. It was a completely different environment that, that Facebook was born in, that Twitter was born in. 
well, Linux is, you know, close enough, but, you know, I'm just saying that we, what Bitcoin is going through actually looks more like what the internet went through. It's not different. It's not, it's, it's like the same. It's like watching a fractal unfold and the pattern just keeps repeating and repeating. And it's, it has repeated before it's going, it's repeating now and it's going to repeat again. And there's not a damn thing that you can do about it. All right. This, this story has been kind of claiming everybody's attention. So we might as well get into it. Marie Juliet is writing six hours ago for coin telegraph. One whale was behind Bitcoin's 2017 bull run, claim researchers, and I call bull S. Researchers have escalated their claims about market manipulation in winter of 2017, now claiming that a single whale was responsible for Bitcoin's historic price surge. If you believe that, I got bridges all over the island to sell you. The development was reported by Bloomberg on November the 4th. John Griffin and um, Amin Shams of the University of Texas and Ohio, respectively, have updated their previous research, which made the case that the market misconduct was allegedly behind Bitcoin's bull run at an all-time high of $20,000 in December of 2017. Griffin and Sham's analysis first published in a research paper in June 2018 had argued that transaction patterns of the blockchain suggested Tether had been used to provide price support and manipulate the Bitcoin market. Quote, purchases with Tether are timed following market downturns and result in sizable increases in Bitcoin prices. The flow is attributable to one entity clusters below round prices in, <laughs> induces asymmetric autocorrelations in Bitcoin and suggests insufficient Tether reserves before month ends. End quote. Rather than indicating demand for cash investors, they argue that these patterns aligned with a supply-based hypothesis of unbacked digital money inflating cryptocurrency prices. In an update to their previous research, the academics are intensifying their argument, which is set to be formally published in a forthcoming peer-reviewed paper for the Journal of Finance. They reportedly argue they reportedly argue that the analysis of Tether and Bitcoin transactions from March 1st, 2017 through March 31st, 2018 consolidates their view that a single entity transacting via Tether's sister firm, crypto exchange Bitfinex, is behind the manipulation. Yeah, some Bitfinex FUD here. Quote, this pattern is only present in periods following printing of Tether, driven by a single large account holder and not observed by other exchanges. Simulations show that these patterns are highly unlikely to be due to chance. This one large player or entity either exhibited clairvoyant market timing or exerted an extremely large price impact on Bitcoin that is not observed in aggregate flows from other smaller traders, end quote. Tether's general counsel, Stuart Hogner, has rebuffed the academics' claim, releasing a statement that their research is foundationally flawed and derives from an insufficient data set. He has further alleged that the research was motivated to bolster a parasitic lawsuit against Tether, Bitfinex, and the latter's operation. IFINX. So there you go. There's that whole, if you're seeing stuff about the single whale, look, you can believe it if you want, but I'm not buying it. Not for a second. I'm just saying David Pan, on the other hand, is saying that Reggie Middleton reaches a $9.5 million SEC settlement over ICO fraud. Really? So this is Coindesk. Uh, He's writing this on November the 1st. 
The uh, SEC said it has reached a settlement with Reggie Middleton, organizer of the fraud 18 or sorry, $14.8 million Veritasium or very initial coin offering in a filing with the New York Eastern District Court dated October the 31st, boo, and published today, Middleton agreed to the consent decree of the final judgment without having to admit or deny the allegations while waiving any right to appeal. The settlement came three weeks after the court announced that it had entered into discussions with Middleton to settle the case. The defendant agreed to pay approximately $9.5 million to settle. According to the SEC, Middleton has the obligation to pay disgorgement and prejudgment interest of $8.4 million, plus a civil penalty of $1 million. The case concludes the long-running saga since 2017, with Middleton accused of allegedly raising millions of dollars through an ICO without registering with the SEC while misleading investors to attract more funds with false information. A week after the raise, Middleton claimed a hacker stole 36000 of its tokens valued at $8 million and subsequently exchanged them for Ether, and the funds are still missing according to the filing. According to the initial complaint filed by the SEC at multiple times, the, de- the defendant referred to the tokens as software or compared them to prepaid gift cards to be used on a technological platform. I remember that. God. The SEC also accused Middleton of manipulating securities value post-ICO and misappropriating at least $520,000 of investors' money for personal use, the complaint said. In an emergency action in August, the SEC froze Middleton's assets and asked the court to prevent him from continuing to operate a public company or participating in a digital asset securities offering. The case is one of the latest settlements for fraudulent ICOs. Data storage started Startup SIA negotiated $225 million settlement over its $120,000 raise on October the 1st, while EOS maker Block One agreed to pay $24 million penalty on a raise that totaled $4.1 billion on September the 20th. And all this just makes me wonder why the hell we even have the SEC. I mean, if, if you're not going to put these people in prison, then you need to disband the SEC and let everybody just... I don't know, fend for themselves or something, but this is just nothing but slaps on wrists all the way around. Okay, let's say, oh, oh yeah, Bitcoin miner in miners in Canada uncover green energy breakthrough. Ali Raza is writing for Bitcoinist.com. Let's see, I've got a date stamp. Yeah, sometime this morning. Uh, Canadian gas companies are using trapped natural gas to fuel Bitcoin mining instead of simply having it flared into the atmosphere. Bitcoin mining is renowned for requiring a lot of resources, and with an increased price of the coins, mining is once again under the spotlight. Recently, gas companies in Alberta, Canada, figured out a way to use trapped natural gas to fuel Bitcoin mining instead of just letting it dissipate out into the atmosphere and pollute the air. In fact, according to recent reports, as much as 500 cubic meters per day is being utilized for mining purposes instead of being vented into the atmosphere. 500... Cubic meters does not sound all like all that much. Okay, well, whatever. Bitcoin mining requires huge quantities of resources, which is seen by many as problems that affects the environment. On the other hand, so does flaring trapped pockets of natural gas that is being released into the air in countries like Canada. Now, thanks to a recent revelation that the country's gas firms had had, all of this natural gas can be used for powering BTC mining farms. According to Bull Bitcoin's Francis Pouliot, Using the gas in this way solves a massive problem 
problem for gas well owners, thousands of which were struggling to contain these gas bursts or find a use case for them. And they've got a tweet from Francis. Let's see what he says. This was on, God, this was all the way back in July, July of 2019. Today, I visited an Alberta gas company that has been prototyping Bitcoin mining operations with trapped natural gas, too costly to sell onto the grid. Bitcoin solves a massive problem for thousands of gas well owners. This is overwhelming demand to monetize trapped illiquid energy. Furthermore, okay, this is, that's the end of the tweet. Furthermore, gas prices have been declining over the years, which did not exactly create an incentive to collect and transport it. The only way to get rid of it was to have burned it as it leaves the earth, which did not recover any energy and polluted the, the atmosphere. While flaring the gas was one form of a solution for the problem, the companies were not able to do it indefinitely. There are regulations that pose strict limits on how much gas can be flared, and after the companies reached that limit, they would have to shut down the wells. With this new solution, they will. this will no longer be the case as the companies can install Bitcoin mining gear and use the gas to mine the coins. With more of the natural gas being used for powering mining farms, there will be a major reduction in carbon dioxide emissions from gas and oil explorations, which ultimately leads to greener mining. At the same time, this approach can also bring greater decentralization of the mining process going forward. Now, we've seen companies, this is me talking. Layer one and uh, Steve Barber's uh, company. Uh, oh Sorry, Steve, I can't remember the name of your company, but both of these companies are going to going to be important going forward. Now, there's a, a mistake that was made in this uh, at the end of this article um, where it said, "Where let's see, it says." Uh, okay, with more of the natural gas being used for powering Bitcoin mining farms, there will be a major reduction of carbon dioxide. This is not true. When you burn natural gas in a generator and mixing it with oxygen, you're going to get two products. Well, you're going to get three. You get energy, obviously, but you also get carbon dioxide because and well, carbon dioxide and water vapor. That's the the complete complete combustion of any hydrocarbon always results in two things: carbon dioxide, water vapor. Well, three and the release of energy. All right, so. But now that said, it's better to have carbon dioxide in the atmosphere than it is methane. I've heard, you know, we you know, there could be 10 to 20 to, and then some people say 100 times worse as far as a greenhouse gas for raw methane to be in the atmosphere than it is for carbon dioxide. And I'm not really even that concerned about methane being in the atmosphere. However, what I am concerned about is that regulations and more regulations will be coming to oil and gas because of the whole people having conniption fits over green energy and and we're all going to die in 12 years and, you know, poor Al Gore's, you know, mansions that he bought on the freaking beach will be flooded, even though he said that they would have already been flooded, whatever. It doesn't matter. What does matter is that, when these regulations, and they're, they're already pretty stringent as it is, but they're going to get worse. And for any oil and gas company that's out there that are not betting that they're going to have to shut in wells because they cannot control the gas that's coming out of those things, they don't want to shut in the well. They make no money shutting it. In fact, they lose money shutting in the well because they got to pay to shut it in. And then they're just basically paying property taxes on this thing that's not producing any anything at all. Their best bet is to get it is to start standing in line and say how the hell can we get a company out here to put in generators and bitcoin mining gear so that we don't have to build a gas pipeline that we can't really afford right now 
and reduce that gas line, you know, the a natural gas pipeline into a phone cable or a satellite uplink. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about completely flipping the narrative of what the infrastructure for natural gas getting it out of the wells without it getting into the atmosphere. We're completely flipping the narrative of that infrastructure infrastructure from turning it from a large, huge, you know, like multi million dollar project to build these, these pipelines into converting the gas into something that can be passed through a pipeline that is already present, i.e. a phone line, internet, or satellite uplink, which is, can also be put into the internet. I'm just saying it's a complete conversion of that. And the, the oil and gas companies that are not trying to figure this one out may get into trouble later on because, like I said, I'll bet you my hat that more regulations are going to come down the pipe and it's going to cause these guys to actually have to shut in their wells instead of being able to do something, you know, like, oh, I don't know, produce oil and gas with them. So really happy about <laughs> – about these companies that are coming online, uh, definitely watching that space, considering that I, I'm smack dab between two of the largest oil basins. Uh, I'm, at, I'm like just south of the Anadarko Petroleum Basin, and I grew up in the Permian Basin, and both of those have large amounts of gas, and both of those places would benefit drastically, especially if said regulations come down the pipe that cause them to shut in, to be able to say, hey, look, <clears throat> but we're not venting methane into the atmosphere. We're actually burning it, and it's 100% going into CO2, which is going to make them a lot happier than methane. So what's going on now? Uh, no, that's it. That's going to do it for Morning Roundup. Vital statistics brought to you by CO2. No, sorry. Bitinfocharts.com. Bitcoin is at a price of 9,342. We've got, looks like we've got a high over at BitAsset at 9,412. And it looks like the low is going to be chilling out over at P2P, B2B, 9,199. We have had close to 300,000 transactions occur in the last 24 hours with about uh, 12,500 occurring per hour. 834 BTC have been sent over the last 24 hours with 34,700 BTC being sent per hour. Average transaction value is 2.8 BTC and the median is 0.022 or about 200 bucks. Block time seem a little high at 10 minutes, 17 seconds. Actually, no, that's right on. It's only 17 seconds over. Bitcoin block should be every 10 minutes. Uh, we have points. We have a quarter of a BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 33.3 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a 7% drop in the amount of hash rate and we are now sitting below 90 at 88.5 exahashes per second. The last commit to the Bitcoin GitHub core repository was sometime on November the 2nd. Ethereum at 186, Bcash at 291. Jesus, you poor dumb saps. Litecoin is at 62. Uh, BSV is at 129. Ethereum Classic is at five. Dogecoin is chilling out where it always chills out. 0 0.0027 dollars at 28,800 transactions in the last 24 hours. Doge 
is pretty much crushing Litecoin. It's the only one that it crushes nowadays. But that's going to do it for that. Let's look at the mempool for Bitcoin. We are nine blocks deep and 18,500 unconfirmed transactions. So we've got a pretty full mempool. Uh, I'm looking at the block sizes coming to and going from, and we don't have any empty blocks. So that's a good sign. The Lightning Network, we have 10,333 Lightning nodes online. Uh, the capacity is at 820 BTC or roughly around $7.5 million. Uh, let's see, we've had a decrease in the nodes uh, with active channels. We only have 5,927 nodes with active channels. Um, <clears throat> but that's good that it's decreased. Wait a minute, hold on. No, no, that's bad that it's decreased, sorry. New nodes coming online in the last 24 hours is eight, and that represents a 27% drop in a day-over-day -day basis. We only have 75 brand spanking new channels, which represents a 33% drop in the amount of new channels coming online on a day-over-day -day basis. That's going to do it for Vitals. Monday's a good day for big band music. Why? Because I said so. That's why. Have some Glenn Miller. He's in the mood.
just too easy but you know the daily train wreck is being brought to you by craig wright who could be wrong on october the 30th without any advance notice plaintiffs were informed craig could no longer finance the settlement and was breaking the non-binding settlement agreement that's right Yep, Craig said he can't afford to do the settlement agreement. Oh, wow. I was, I'm was, i shocked. I'm absolutely shocked that he doesn't have the amount of money that he said he has. I mean, the dude lies pretty much every single day, so why would he tell the truth about that? Coindesk's Daniel Kuhn writing trial back on after Craig Wright breaks Bitcoin settlement agreement. Australian-born technologist Craig Wright has attested that he cannot finance his court settlement negotiated with the Kleeman estate. According to a court document filed in the Southern District of Florida, October the 30th, Wright pulled out of the settlement agreement in which he would forfeit half his intellectual property and Bitcoin mined prior to 2014. With the agreement broken, trial motions are now back on. The document was filed by Kleeman's counsel to set a date to depose an out-of-state witness. Ira Kleeman brought the charges against Wright in 2018 on behalf of his deceased brother's estate. Kleeman alleges Wright manipulated business documents, emails, and other correspondence to defraud the estate. Wright has sanctioned in late August after being... Wait, oh, sorry. Wright was sanctioned in late August after being found in contempt of court by Magistrate Judge Bruce E. Reinhardt for failing to disclose a complete list of his Bitcoin addresses reportedly amounting to 1.1 million Bitcoin. During the hearing, Wright claimed his Bitcoin was inaccessible due to his former business partner David Kleeman's death as well as a complicated encryption scheme. The arguments were found to be inconsistent and in bad faith. Quote, these discussions began at Craig's request and due to the fact that Craig represented he had the means to finance the settlement. Uh, that's a bad sentence. Velvel Friedman, member of the prosecution and partner at Roche Friedman, said in the filing, Wright allegedly reneged on the non-binding agreement without notice. Earlier, just days after the sanction was levied, Wright requested additional time to challenge the judge's court order due to the approach of Hurricane Dorian. Kleeman is represented by Kyle Roche and Vivelle Friedman of Roche Friedman LLP, while Wright is represented by Rivero Mestre LLP. The trial date is set for March the 30th, 2020. Update. This was updated November the 30th. The headline for this article has been updated to clarify that a final settlement had not been reached. The parties had simply reached a non-binding agreement that could have led to one. It doesn't really matter because Craig lied. He He's pulled out of this. The, I mean, this is, we're going to be dealing with this probably for a lot longer than any of us ever thought. So I don't know how long it's going to go on, but probably 
probably quite a while. Now, that all depends on on what the court's going to do now, because the shenanigans that have been pulled in this court, at one point or another, I just can't understand why the judges would be, at this point, just not throwing him in full-blown jail for contempt of court. I mean, you can do that. You can be thrown in jail for doing stuff like this. So I don't know how their patience is. I don't know what they did to make their patience so rock solid, but God, I wish I had that for myself, man. Uh, it, anyway, there's your smoldering pile. Um, if you're not following Stephen Pally on uh, Twitter, he has really, he's, he's a, a lawyer that has some really great legal insights into stuff like this. And he's been, he's been tweeting about this particular uh, development of him reneging on his non-binding agreement, and he will do so in the future. He, anyway, so if you're if you want to read more about this from the legal perspective, go find Stephen Pally, P A L L E Y, I believe is is how you spell his last name. Anyway, he's got. I, I love reading this stuff when he when he's uh, talking about court cases in, in Bitcoin. It's fascinating. But anyway, there's your smoldering pile sitting there in the corner. Okay, Dad Says Jokes is back online for me today. This is where I'm getting my terrible joke corner from. Did you know vampires aren't real? Unless you count Dracula. Very dad. Very awful. Very terrible joke. Thank you, Dad. appreciate that. Uh, We've come to the end of uh, episode 159 of Bitcoin And. I'd like to remind you... If you could, please give me a share, a shout out, uh, a like, a follow, a subscribe, and a five star review on uh, on iTunes. That would be that would be ballers, man. Um, as always, Monday is the beginning of the week, so who knows what this week has in store for us? Just be on be on your toes. Make sure you don't fall for the George Molt thing. Uh, God, the scammers in this space is so embarrassing sometimes. <laughs> other than that, man, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.